Today's sermon is a landmine. Landmines. You know they're buried all around you, but you're not sure where until you mistakenly step on one and it explodes. And when it goes off, it inflicts damage, even though you attempt to be as careful as possible. That's today's sermon. We're at the verses where we listen to Jesus' words about divorce. Landmine. From the start, I am requesting your grace. No matter how hard I have tried to speak truth with grace in this sermon, misunderstandings are likely. I may be ignorant about your situation, or, or I will communicate poorly and unintentionally cause someone to be hurt. And if that occurs this morning, please know that was never my intention. Also, I ask that you sit through the sermon until the end. If the first half of the sermon is challenging to hear, difficult to hear, the last half may start the healing you've been hoping for if divorce has touched your life. So let's begin. Today, the family structure is under attack. In a book entitled The Death of the Family, a British physician has suggested that the best thing we could do in human society is to do away with the family altogether. He promotes the total removal of the nuclear family as we know it. He writes this, The family is the primary conditioning device for a Western imperialistic worldview, and we've got to get rid of that. Kate Mill, also no fan of the family in her book, Sexual Politics, she writes this, The family unit must go because it is the family that has oppressed and enslaved women. Do you hear it? With this level of disdain for the family, culturally, it is easier than ever to divorce. Today, the easy solution to a troubled marriage is marketed by law firms. Divorce. In fact, there's a Chicago law firm that has targeted young, wealthy, married couples with this simple message. Life is short. Get a divorce. And on either side of the words, there were these sexually charged images of a man and a woman. The law firm paid for billboard advertising in a specific part of Chicago where it's many bars and restaurants and dance clubs, uh, the popular party scenes, where they were, the ads were located there to get the word out about the law firm's services. In an interview with one of the lawyers from that firm, they said this, The ad campaign was intended to be lighthearted, thought-provoking, not boring like law firm advertising. The lawyer insisted that the trivialization of marriage was not the intention of the sign. In her mind, the ad was no different than any motivational book that says, live your best life. And some agreed with the philosophy of the sign. One reader of the sign posted, I love it. Kudos to the firm and the marketing idea. As an attorney, I am not at all offended by this billboard. Frankly, I find it refreshingly honest and insightful. Hey, it's true. If people are unhappy, there are plenty of options out there. Get a divorce and get on with your life. End of quote. Here's another quote. If you're in an unhappy marriage, get on with your life. That is the attitude of the Pharisees in our text this morning. 
Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In Jesus' day, divorce was also a landmine issue, as the topic caused division even among the religious leaders. Among the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to, there was one group who understood Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, to imply a rigid view of divorce, that the only grounds for divorce was because of unseemly or indecent marital unfaithfulness. But then there was another group that understood the Deuteronomy text to imply a casual view of divorce. Jewish historian Josephus described their attitude when he wrote that the law of Moses was allowed, allowed the husband, quote, to be divorced from his wife for any cause whatsoever. That was their belief. You see, from the text, Deuteronomy 24.1, they took such a broad understanding of the word displeasing to mean that if a wife was a lousy cook, you could divorce her. If she didn't age well, you could divorce her. If another woman appeared to be more pleasing than the Pharisee's wife, you could divorce her. This is the Pharisee's point of view on divorce. And one of the ways that we know that is because of a question they will later ask Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Here's what it says. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him, and they asked, catch your question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Did you hear it? They want to know whose side Jesus is on. Is he on team casual divorce or team rigid divorce when it comes to this topic? And look again what Jesus says in our text, Matthew chapter 5. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, though Jesus' words are few, Jesus says a great deal. I want you to notice the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees in two ways. First, the Pharisees have a high view of divorce. Jesus has a high view of marriage. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, God has created Adam and Eve, and He has put them together in marriage. In the text, Adam says this of Eve, Holy moly! Okay, I added that part. But he is amazed by what God has just done by uniting them in marriage. Adam says this, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and shall cleave. That word is to attach himself. He will cleave, attach himself to his wife, and they will be one flesh. Cleave. Attach. These are essential words. I want you to think of marriage as the supergluing of a man and woman together. Have you ever used superglue to fix something? to put it back together, and you accidentally get the glue on your fingers? Oh my goodness! 
In fact, you can see in this video right here, to get the fingers apart again, uh, the super glue works so well that you practically must tear away skin to get your fingers apart. Well, in marriage, a man and a woman get stuck together, becoming one mind, one life, one spirit. And instead of two, they are one. And God has made them to be one, to stay one. Why is a lifelong marriage God's plan for the family? Because a lifelong marriage protects the couple, but it also protects the children. Lifelong marriages make for a stronger and healthier community. In her book, Primal Loss, author Lila Miller, she explores the thoughts of 70 adults who watched their parents divorce. And even as adults, they still have negative feelings about the divorce, and they've experienced significant impacts on their adult lives because of divorce. Let me just read a couple of excerpts for you. One person said this, I believe the, the divorce instilled a fear of abandonment in me about all my relationships. I developed problems trusting people to be there for me, thinking that people would leave me when the going got rough. I never learned any skills for solving the conflict in relationships. As much as I desperately craved intimacy and love, the closer someone came to me, the more terrified I was of getting hurt or worse, abandoned. I unconsciously sabotaged relationships as I didn't know how to receive and accept real love. End quote. Uh, another person said this, People with divorced parents see the world differently. It's just how it is. Even with the best divorces, a seven-year-old should never be in a position to take responsibility for her parents' emotions. She should never have to think about which parent gets to hear or see something from her first, for fear of hurting the other parent's feelings. She should never have to feel like she doesn't belong in the home of her parents. These were never intentionally done, she continues. My parents did the best they could to keep me at the center, to keep me as the focus so that my life could have minimal turbulence. Isn't that interesting? Let me just give you one more. This adult said this, a parent might be able to start over with a new spouse. But the children's worlds will forever be fundamentally split. Forever. There is no, no starting over with a clean slate. Things are now complicated and fractured. Di divorce starts a family onto two different paths that as the years unfold, grow further and further apart. It's not a one-time event, but rather an ever-changing and ever-widening gap. Tasking the children to straddle and reconcile the family season after season, change after change. Here's what the author concluded in her study. Even the best divorces have profound, lifelong adverse effects on the children. Parents who rationalize their divorce as somehow better for the children are engaging in denial, plain 
and simple. See, the Pharisees elevated divorce, but Jesus elevates marriage because he knows how it protects community, both the family and society. Here's a second contrast. The Pharisees see divorce as a righteous act. Jesus sees divorce as a destructive act. Back in Matthew chapter 19, verse 7, the Pharisees refer to Moses' allowance for divorce when they say, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? Do you hear it? The Pharisees turned Moses' allowance for divorce into a righteous act. They believed that by obeying Moses' command to hand their ex a certificate of divorce, the Pharisees believed they were obeying God, making this righteous act, making this a righteous, holy act. Divorce being holy. Do you hear how twisted the Pharisees were? But notice how Jesus responds to the casual position of the Pharisees towards, the, towards divorce. To the requirement of the certificate of divorce, Jesus adds a, adds a command. He says this, Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now let's put this statement in context. What is it that Jesus is really addressing here? Well, we remember the Pharisees have convinced themselves that by obeying Moses' command to give their ex a certificate of divorce, the Pharisees believe they are righteous, that they are not sinful. And Jesus is basically saying, okay, I'll play your silly little game. Let's say you are righteous by obeying Moses' command, and you give a divorce certificate to your wife. Well, good for you. But Pharisees, you're still a sinner because you commit adultery. You see, Jesus explains God's intention in allowing for divorce. If a Pharisee divorced his wife for any reason other than adultery, the Pharisee is guilty of adultery himself. Why? Because he forced his ex-wife to marry another man, or because he himself commits adultery when he marries a new wife. It doesn't matter. The Pharisee is guilty of sin. And Jesus opens the eyes of the Pharisees to see the destructive nature of divorce. Through divorce, the Pharisees spread adultery throughout the Jewish community. The religious leaders made, made God's people unclean. Now, as disciples of Jesus today, I want, I want you to take away from this text, number one, that Jesus has a high view of marriage, and so should we. Church, protect marriage. If you're married, nurture it. Intend to be faithful to your spouse for life. Here's number two. Jesus wants us to also understand that saving all marriage is not possible because we have hardened hearts. Jesus understands, and marriages end because of adultery and abandonment. Whether that abandonment is physical, uh, emotional abuse is also a form of abandonment. And these are exceptions for divorce. So allow me to switch gears briefly. I want to offer healing for those under the burden of divorce. I'm about to offer words and insights from a minister, from a, a counselor by the name of Peter Scazzaro. After working with hundreds of couples struggling with marriage, 
Scazzaro offers grace and wisdom for those trying to heal from the effects of divorce. Because divorce has touched the lives of many people. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're the product of divorce. Or maybe your adult children are divorced. And you know the pain that comes with it. Some of you may even be the cause, the main cause of divorce. When people get divorced, there is a loss of a dream, causing many to grow bitter, closed, or angry. And they carry with them a helpless rage. But there is good news. Finding the seeds of resurrection is possible, even in divorce. God's plan and desire are for you to experience union and oneness, fellowship with God, for which your soul longs. So for just a moment, picture a mountaintop. And at the top of that mountain is transformation. A transformation that would allow you to be with God and to enjoy God, free from all the attachments, free from all the hang-ups in the world that pull you down. But here's the catch. To climb to the top of that mountain, you must go through the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul. It can be a suffering, it can be a depression, a setback, a disappointment. It can be something in your life where it feels like God is a million miles away and you wonder if God is good at all. And you pray, but the prayers seem like they're just bouncing right back at you. And you can't see anything. To grow and mature in God, everybody must pass through the dark night of the soul. Everybody. No Christian is ever exempt from it. It is a place, uh, the dark night is a place of stripping, purging, cleansing. The dark night takes you to the transformation peak where your will finally says, I want God's will. As one broken by divorce, finding the proper place for worldly affections, you are free to enjoy the world without being possessed by it. With a cleansed heart, you hold things lightly. And now your heart want, wants God above all else. The stripping and purging of our will, the process of the dark night of the soul, is the only way to get to transformation peak. Though there may be some, I'm not sure if there are many darker nights that I can think of, like divorce. It plunges a person into a dark valley and you can't see straight. But that dark night is an opportunity, if you wait on God, to strengthen your soul, to change your appetites, to develop your hunger for God. In the dark night, you no longer love God for what you can get from Him. You no longer love God for a contract. You no longer worship your feelings about God. No, you actually worship God. Whether you feel like it or not, because you've grown, you've matured. The dark night has stripped you of immaturity, stripped you of stubbornness, stripped you of fear. And if you wait on God and follow Him through it, God meets you in the valley of the dark night of the soul. And walking with you, God remakes, God renews you as you begin to absorb those griefs and they become part of you. The grief of divorce becomes the soil 
in which to plant the seed of a new beginning. Now, don't forget, at the heart of the Christian faith is the belief that there must first be a death before there can be a resurrection. It was only in dying and being buried that Jesus was able to rise again. John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will bear no fruit. But if it dies, it bears many seeds and much fruit. Similarly, some deaths must occur in our lives for God to release new, fresh resurrection. Divorce is a death, and if we wait and persist and persevere, God will not just cleanse us and do a deep work of humility in our lives, but He will resurrect you into a new beginning of something beautiful. Ignacio Martin Barreau once said this, There are truths that can only be discovered through suffering or from the critical vantage point of extreme situations. End quote. Isn't that true? When we succeed, we're clapping and we're happy, but we're not learning a whole lot. It's through suffering that we discover the truth. Only in a dark night can certain truths about God become clear. Trust God's unfailing love for you that endures forever. Stick with God and don't quit your journey. There was one theologian who once said this, In the shadow of death, we are not to look back to the past, but to seek in utter darkness the dawn of God, end quote. If divorce has a place in your life story, wait on God. Wait on God for the dawn of something beautiful, for a resurrection. Because here's the truth. God can transform your life in ways you never dreamed possible. Divorce is not the end. It could be your new beginning.